fellow adventurers, I'm Josie Thompson and welcome to You Can Shine podcast where I explore real stories of real people just like you and me who have faced adversities and trials and won. Today I'm here with Nicole Phoenix Starr. Let me tell you a little bit about our guest. I've been connecting with Nicole over social media for at least a decade. Nicole is an ordained Hindu high priestess and a humble down-to-earth woman. She has graced world stages. She's run events, immersions and retreats. Nicole has an online temple and runs women's groups and teaches the path of the living goddess. Nicole is a solo mother to three children. Ruby is 21, Harley is 18 and Leonanda the right Leon Ananda is mm-hmm. six. And a fun fact about Nicole is that she used to train the Australian air traffic controllers. She's also an ex-ballroom dancing champion and was even in a movie with Russell Crowe. Nicole is a gracious guide, wide, wise woman, leader and teacher. Welcome, Nicole. Hi, Josie. Thank you so much for inviting me onto your podcast. I feel so blessed to be here with you today. Well, we're very, very lucky to have you here. So thank you for being here. I've done, a bit of a, I've done a bit of a rundown, Nicole, on some of the career or professional mm-hmm. highlights of your life. Tell us your real story, the story underneath who is Nicole Phoenix Star? What are some of the formative and adverse experiences that have shaped your life? Sure. Gosh, it's, it's quite, quite the list that I can share with you. So I'll just kind of give you some, some of the main pieces that um, have been part of this very full and eclectic life of mine. Hmm. So I was born in um, country New South Wales in the town of Wagga Wagga which most people find quite amusing around the world. Um, And I grew up and had a fairly interesting childhood where I, like like you said, I was an Australian ballroom dancing champion. I used to do um, a whole heap of modelling. I ended up in a movie with Russell Crowe. But there was this part of me that always felt sad underneath this kind of exterior that looked very exciting and happy and all of that. And, And I... I had this underlying sadness my whole life, ultimately, which which led me to being what I recognise now as a seeker. Um, and it was something that I could never, ever shake. And I realised that it was certainly going to be an aspect of this life of mine that I needed to really complete because it really disturbed me um, regularly. So... I then kind of travelled around the world. I mean, Australia, actually, when I was younger, looking for this happiness piece. And I looked everywhere, Um, but I didn't really find it. And then I ended up going into air traffic control and I actually found a husband there, which was always interesting. Did you Uh, find your happiness there? (laughs) No, no, no. See, the thing is, is I was looking in the external. This was, this is what became very obvious to me. If you're looking outside of yourself, you can look everywhere and it just never turns up. So I, you know, and 
had some children thought maybe they could bring it with them on their way through, but no, they didn't bring it either. Um, and so I, I really, I really got kind of aware that I needed to, to go a little bit deeper into all of this. And that was as I was shifting into 30 and I decided to leave the marriage because I gave that a good go and, it, and there wasn't happiness in that. And, and I really started diving into personal development and that's where things kind of, I woke up a little bit, I think. And during my twenties, I did a lot of reading and all of that. It was very, very stationary. I feel like it was all, I don't know, kind of out of reach. And it wasn't until I started doing quite a lot of personal development that things started to get really stirred up. And um, yeah, like it was just this difficult road of trying to find this like sense of happiness and people telling me that I needed to settle over and over and over. And it, it really seemed quite sad to me that this was all there was. And and then I got a really amazing opportunity and I'd met a new partner and I was had touches of happiness with him because he was very kind of vivacious and exciting and, and we were very much on a kind of aligned frequency, if you like. And then, and then one day he just died on me. And, um, you know, when someone suddenly dies on you, it, it's quite a good way to penetrate um, the life path. And, and as you can imagine, that led me into a deep, deep inquiry around life and death um, and him kind of like being <laughs> a little bit earthbound and, and me having spirit type experiences led me I think into the world that I am today um, and that is basically um, when things became quite multi-dimensional and I was able to recognize it was more than just you know black and white so would you say, Nicole, I mean, such a sudden death like that would have really got you by surprise. And it yeah. sounds like it kind of awakened you into an awareness about life that perhaps you hadn't explored as deeply as right. needing to in that circumstance. Yeah, well, it, 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 it quickened everything. Like this sense of urgency came out of it. Um, and I realized that, you know, that we can be taken in any moment and this, and this great urgency came about me to really do what the work or find the happiness, um, because it can be taken in a moment as I was experiencing. And, and so I really started seeking, um, and doing, a, I mean, I'd played a lot with kind of, you know, meditation and, you know, moon ceremonies and, and kind of just dabbled in that. And I really became quite pulled into the energetic work of things. And, and then I went on a trip to the States and um, I had a really profound experience with um, a native uh, shaman over there. And then I came back to Australia and then I was given the opportunity to come to Bali. And when I arrived in Bali, it, it 
was quite confusing to me. I felt this sense of familiarity, if you like, be even though like it, I never felt to come to Southeast Asia. I never wanted to come to Bali or any where basically a friend of mine invited me to come and support her in a retreat. And at that time I did have some space and time and, you know, I didn't have to pay for it because I was coming to support. And so it wasn't something that I actively sought out. It was one of those divine plans that, that I was able to, to take up. And anyway, I realized very quickly within the first week or so that there was something beyond my comprehension in Bali. And I was walking through um, the green school actually, and, I, and out of my mouth literally came, I'm moving to Bali. And I, <laughs> and I, it was kind of like these words that came out of me and I was in shock because I hadn't really thought about that. And I, you know, in my logical mind went, well, how are you going to do that? As if that's going to happen. You know, you have these two children in Australia that you co-parent and I had two businesses at the time and all of this stuff and as if that was ever going to happen but here we are I'm talking to you from Bali right now <laughs> the, the my divine plan had a very different um, reality for me and so ultimately I came back to Australia and I said I'm moving to Bali and everyone kind of believed me and I was like well well, okay. And then literally everything just went at like snowballed. I had people fighting over themselves to buy my businesses. Like everything worked out so beyond my comprehension. And next minute, literally three months later, I was on a plane flying to Bali. You know, <laughs> a lot of Australians fantasize mm -hmm. about, about what you've just done. Was yeah. there a moment, Nicole, that was the catalyst for that de declaration? Yes, yes, there was actually. I, okay, so I was at a point where I was sick to death of being sick and tired of everything. I, I, I had spent one whole weekend working out the best way to commit suicide. And I had gotten very specific because I dabbled in this over my whole life. I'd actually had a couple of tries, um, you know, in my late teens and in once in my twenties. And I, I just thought I, I gave it a good, I actually entertained it for two days and I thought, how could I do this? And I came up with what I thought was quite a good outcome of, of how I could succeed because I hadn't been very successful in the past. And and I come to a point where, well, maybe this was my children's destiny to, you know, to just not grow up with their mother. That was going to be their life path to, you know, because I did know people that had had similar things. And also I had been caught drink driving again. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. the, 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 the post that um, you lent into to ask me about you was that, you know, I've just seven and a half years sober. There were times in my life where I recognise now that I was what, what we call a high-functioning alcoholic because I didn't understand that I could still run businesses, you know, get children to school and 
and do all these things while still being an alcoholic. And I didn't realize that there's this thing called high functioning alcoholic and you just don't have to be a homeless person in the street to be an alcoholic. Like who knew such things? Mm. Um, And so I had several times in my life being caught drink driving and it's very difficult not having a license and trying to get children to school and all of these things. And so there was a compounding of me being in deep grief um, and also like having these visits from my, um, my dead partner and having this deep spiritual experiences where I wasn't quite sure if I was going completely mad or I was able to communicate with the dead. Um, now I know that I am able to communicate with the dead and have very, very close uh, capacity into it relating with spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just part of my training. <laughs> um, and these, these compounding things where I just couldn't see what would happen. And then, you know, literally I went to Bali and I was like, okay, I'm going to move here. And because everything was so extreme, I just, it just, I really didn't believe it would happen, but I just followed the energy. I just took one step in front of the other and it worked out. I took another step in front of the other and someone wanted to rent my house. And I took another step and people wanted to pay more for my business. And I took another step and my ex-husband agreed to it. And everything just kept working out much to my surprise, mm. you know? Um, and, the, and when I tried to think about it, like when I got my mind involved, mm. I freaked out. And so I stopped. And so I just kept, what I realized now is I was, I was following, I, I, I had faith, which I had faith in the unfolding because nothing else made sense. I just, everything worked out. And so I just, I don't know, I think all the personal development I'd done had it kind of dropped in at that point and I just kept going because I kept having my eye on the goal and all of these things Mm. and literally when I was in that plane flying to Bali I said to myself what are you doing and I said back to myself I don't really know (laughs) And, and I like I literally had no plan and no idea what I was going to do like I I'd sold everything. So I had just enough to live for maybe a year if I was like frugal and I had no, no idea how I was going to make money. I had no idea how I was going to support myself beyond that. I did not know anyone. and I just was going. Um, and it was really quite an extreme thing when I look back, but I just had nothing like I had nothing to lose because I had prepared the suicide plan. I'd given up on basically everything and I just kind of went with it. There was nothing, you know, and, and as I recognize now, it was everything that I needed to do. And it was the saving grace, absolutely saving grace of me. And it was, <laughs> I don't, it's so interesting because I, I'd spoken to my, my children afterwards because originally they were going to come with me. And at the 11th hour, my ex-husband said to me, I'm not going to let them go with you now and you're not having your children anymore and I'm keeping them. Mm. And to me, that felt like he was stealing my children. And that was the next thing that I had to deal with because 
originally they were just going to stay with him for one term until I got everything sorted here. And then he said, you need my permission Mm. for them to leave the country and I can put a hold on them and I'm not going to let them go. So I also lost my children Mm. in that moment. But when I landed in Bali, I knew I had to stay and I knew I had to learn to live a completely different dynamic to what I was to the way I was seeing my children Um, because previous to that I was like the primary caregiver Mm. and I recognized then it was his turn (laughs) but I didn't know that at the time because I was heartbroken and you know my mother said to me you need to come back to Australia to get these children and I said I can't because when I was in Bali I just felt for the first time in years like I was stable and none of it made sense I didn't understand why because I was in this random foreign country. I didn't know anyone. But the first time I felt safe and I felt stable. And I recognise now that, you know, why all of that happened. Um, and I just, again, decided to ride it out and go with, go with it. And very quickly I found, I was taken to a midnight ceremony and I found my teacher. Um, again, something I wasn't looking for. Um, and you know, that's when I was taken into, <laughs> into, a, into a Hindu pathway, which I didn't even really know, knew what that meant. I didn't, was, it certainly wasn't seeking, you know, for, um, to find, you know, a teacher or a guru or um, any kind of specific guidance on that. Mm. I would just literally just go and sit in the corner, which was kind of like the first time in my life. I've always been in the spotlight. I've always been very dynamic. I've always been a leader. And for the first time in my life, I just sat in the corner and watched and was quiet and participated. And it was able to heal me in a way that was inconceivable. And even today, I cannot translate what that was um, because how can you articulate the (laughs) unarticulatable? And anyway, so I was... um, I just felt that I needed to show up every week to the ceremony, um, not, not, not understanding the language. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was all energy. Like it was able to feel in the energy. And it's the first time in my life as well that I felt embraced unconditionally. They didn't want anything from me. They didn't need anything from me. And so I, I just was able to be, I was truly able to be me. Um, and, and they saw me at my worst. And because I was trying to manage this whole broken heart of the children thing, there was a couple of times where I really went crazy um, on, on the booze because I didn't know what to do. And I lent into them and they never judged me, never told me I was doing anything wrong, just held the space for me. Um, and this is when I started a regular meditation practice. And the regular meditation practice turned everything inwards. And I was able to stop looking outside of myself for the answers. I was able to stop looking outside of myself for that happiness and just to become intimate within myself and to actually get to know me because I didn't really know myself intimately until I spent, you know, until I clocked hundreds of hours of meditation. Um, And this was when this cultivating relationship with self led me to 
the absolute defining moment where it was literally like flicking a switch and everything changed for me. Um, I was actually in Thailand and I was visiting um, an ashram over there and, and there, I was sitting in a satsang and there was um, a Swami giving um, a very serious um, transmission around being a seriousness on the spiritual path. Um, and he just was going on and on about, you know, having one foot in and one foot out. And I'm like, yep, that's me. And he's like, you know, you, 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 you come here and you sit and you do all the yoga and you do all the meditation. And then at night you go down to the full moon party and you're still like doing this and that. And then he just started screaming, stop fucking around. And I just was like, oh my God, a swearing Swami. And, and I felt like there was this huge light on top of me. Everything else went dark and I just went, oh. This is the defining moment. This is my defining moment. <laughs> this is my this is my line in the sand, and this is like where I have to choose me. Mm. I have to choose me. I have to have my own back, and I have to stop letting myself down because this is the this is the cycle that I was in. Is that I would get to you know I that I just let myself down. I couldn't trust myself because I would do all this work. I started take, you know, I started running retreats. I had people and after everyone had been these amazing spiritual experiences, two days later, I was in the pub trying to like gather myself drinking. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I feel so incongruent because like I'm, you know, I'm starting to be seen as this guy, which I don't even want. I don't even know what any of this means. I just, I became this, I, what I thought was a tour guide for spiritual retreats, but all of a sudden people started seeing me as a leader and I'm just like, no, I'm your tour guide, love. That's all I am. And it was forced upon me. In fact, I'm like, I just want to sit in the corner. I just want to sit in the corner. I don't want to be in the limelight, none of that stuff, but that wasn't the divine plan it seems. And so because I couldn't be out of integrity, I couldn't continue to go to the pub anymore. And the more I started was drinking at this stage, the more it made me sick because I recognized that my frequency and vibration weren't able to, you know, manage the toxicity anymore because I was working in this light. I was working in these, you know, um, different frequencies that were not able to be sustained when you're drinking lots of red wine. So anyway, and so I, and it was, it was, not working for me anymore but when I had this defining moment I was like okay this is it I need to not drink anymore I need to never smoke a cigarette anymore because I'd stopped and started that my whole life as well you know I knew I could not drink I knew I could not smoke because I did that very well when I was pregnant and other times of my life so what made this different because it sounds like the swearing swami certainly <laughs> made it you know that yeah that really awakened you even more deeply than you were on the path to anyway so what right. made what made that moment the pivotal mm -hmm. moment for you what what did you surrender and what did you commit to absolutely that's exactly what happened so I had tried this many times I had tried to make a commitment to myself I'm not going to do that again 
I'm going to do this. And I'd made all these commitments to myself over and over again over the years. And I had failed in my eyes. I had not followed through the commitment. I had let myself down and I hurt myself. And ultimately I was abusing myself. I realized that I was my greatest abuser ever. And it was in that. And because of everything that had ever happened, I got to a point where I was like, okay, you need to imagine if you could make this commitment here and now in this defining moment that is so, so intense, if you could actually follow through on your commitment, then for the first time in your life, you can trust yourself for the first time in your life. Like your word is the absolute truth. And therefore your word is the word of God. And if you can actually have your own back, then you won't need anyone or anything ever again, because you have you. And that is ultimately everything that I'd been like working towards and not achieving. And so (laughs) there was this voice in my head that said, can I just have one more glass of wine? Just that last one. (laughs) And I literally slapped myself across the face really loudly and everyone turned around and looked at me and I was like, Oh my God. Mm -hmm. And, and I was like, this is what we're talking about. This is exactly it. And I was like, okay, imagine if I could do this, like my whole life would change. And I was like, I'm done. I'm so done. And I'm actually going to commit to myself. Mm -hmm. I'm actually going to do this. And I did. And I, and I walked out of that room and I never had a drink again and I never had a cigarette again. And it was like, it was like, I finally chose me and I finally had my own back. I could finally trust myself. And I decided in that moment to do it. And for some reason I did. And I recognized that it was just, I just tried one more time after trying infinite times beforehand. Mm -hmm. And I just had this realization within me that I was, so basically I had this vision where I like, I sat down and I decided to fully surrender everything at the feet of God, at the feet of consciousness and to truly embody everything that I'd been taught and was teaching. And, and that was that I am pure consciousness. And so, so what what does that mean? I mean, today you're talking, I mean, I know what you mean, but um, for our audience, like when you Mm. talk about energy and vibration and raising your frequency and surrendering to pure consciousness, like, Put that in layman's terms. Like what okay. does that actually mean? Sure. And, and, and again, it is, it is just language because, you know, every kind of organised religion has their own language and their own words for this, okay? Mm-hmm. So everyone can find a resonance to be able to, to recognise that. And basically, you know, as opposed to negative thinking, um, as opposed to, you know, thinking the worst of things and I don't know, it's like those lower vibrant, like low vibes of, and, and ways of thinking and ways of acting and all of these things that we know that we don't like that create, you know, suffering within the self. Um, if they're the things that I'm talking about that, you know, don't sustain us, they keep us in this cycle of suffering And, you know, don't allow us to shift out of anything towards that happiness piece or, you know, that place, what I call liberation. Um, For me, consciousness is just a really broad word for God, Allah, 
Shiva, Jesus, Tom, Dick or Harry, whatever your, your um, word is, whatever your faith is, you know, some people don't even have that, you know, they just call it the universe mm. or, or whatever your language is that works for you. That is something greater than yourself, that you feel part of that oneness consciousness, if you like, that, you know, there's something bigger than just the humans running around being, you know, defiant against each other. Um, but for me, this moment that we're talking about where I decided to like sit at the feet of God, which was ultimately recognizing that I am an aspect of consciousness and I am not a single little being <laughs> fighting <laughs> with a bottle of booze. Hmm. Um, and that I would have complete faith and trust as I'd already had enough experience in that everything was going to be okay because it kept being okay. There was a lot of suffering. There was a lot of pain and there was a whole lot of other crazy stuff that happened, but I was still okay. And I kept getting more and more. Okay. So what if I completely trusted in that and, and rather than questioned it. Um, and so that's what I did. And literally something happened. And I believe it's because of everything that happened, all of the hours I put beforehand, all of like the different modalities that I tried, it was, it came to this moment where I just, decided to believe in me, like to trust myself and to never let myself down ever again. And that gives ultimate freedom, ultimate liberation, because I know that I'm never going to let myself down. Like, mm. so therefore I don't have to rely on anyone and, you know, having connection with human beings and them doing things for you or supporting you or whatever is just a bonus because I know that I have my own back and I can trust myself and, and that is absolute liberation. So if, you know, for our listeners out there mm -hmm. who are listening to this story and going, whoa, I want that, what right. are the steps, like what are the, the tips sure. you can offer them to take that one step in front of the next onto this path towards liberation and freedom? Yeah. Absolutely cultivating the relationship with the self you know, creating a level of intimacy with the self. Um, and, you know, for me, that was absolutely through meditation because I was able to get quiet enough to listen to the noise that was going on within me and being able to like show up like I would to a child, but within me, like, you know, if there was any fears within me, I'd be like, okay, and hold space for myself um, to be able to, to spend the time connecting with that consciousness, that God consciousness, whatever that is for you to be able to recognize that we aren't alone, that we are part of something so far greater, you know, that, that ultimately we're an aspect of nature, you know, that mother nature is um, a container for every atom on earth. And it, it really dissolves any sense of aloneness, mm -hmm. um, and, and to any time that I felt like I was in separation to be able to, again, hold space so that I could feel held, I could feel loved and I could feel whole and really just showing up in each moment where I felt fear or separation to be able to hold space for myself and, and bring myself back into that place of connection or wholeness. That was the absolute day to day, moment by moment practice that led me and sustained me 
to being able to get to this point where I have complete faith and trust in myself and everything. So when you we say you meditate, that sounds like this has become part of your daily practice. How long do you meditate for? What works for you? For me, life is a meditation. Mm. Every single moment. And it started off five minutes a day. It just started five minutes a day because I hadn't sat cross-legged on the floor since high school mm-hmm. and my hips would hurt and my knee would hurt and I'd start moving and flumbling around and all of that. And I just did 21 days of five minutes mm-hmm. until my body was able to like handle it. Um, and, you know, there's been times in my life where I've spent 10 hours a day meditating, but that's because I'm a bit of a maniac. But, it, it, it you know, I, I now... see people get so stuck on this ideology around oh I can't sit I don't have one Mm. hour a day or 10 Mm. minutes a day or all of that and so I don't you know kind of teach that or recognize that as you know a must do if you start sitting for a little bit of time every day and you want to sit longer then that's a route for you that will totally work other Mm. people do other different ways but like I said for me, life is a meditation. And, you know, when I wash my children's clothes and then, you know, I take them off the line and I fold them with love. And because, because my energy in their clothes is what they're going to put on their little bodies when they go into the day. And rather than being like, oh, I've got to do the freaking laundry again, and all of that, like I recognize that imprinting my energy into their clothes makes a difference, you know, mm-hmm. like when I cook, it's a ceremony and it's not like difficult. It's the same amount of time, effort, energy that I do if I was just making other food, but I just bring this recognition to it. Um, and everyone who eats my food is like, oh my God, this food tastes like love. And I'm like, because that's how I made it. Do you know what I mean? When I hop on my motorbike to go to take my children to school or anywhere, like I hop on there and I'm like grateful the, the fact that my bike is still going and I kind of recognize that I'm going to leave, you know, like how I'm going to penetrate into the, every single thing that I do is for me meditation and every aspect of life is a ceremony and that's something that I did and it's exactly the same as if I would do it anyway it's just bringing awareness into it and to being conscious when I do it and it makes everything like joy and it's and I'm doing it anyway like I'm cooking every day I'm doing the laundry I'm doing school drop-off every day no matter what how Mm. I show up to it Oh my God, like the magic in the mundane is mm. so powerful. So, so what I'm hearing is you're turning the mundane into something quite magnificent. Absolutely. Through, through your full presence, your yep. intentional consciousness and gratitude for mm-hmm. living fully in that moment, yep. regardless of what it is you're doing. Absolutely. And this is the path of the householder. You know what? You know, there, there was a time when I, when I was offered to go and live in a cave and to be bought my food and to be free of the conditioning of the householder, didn't have to make money or all of that. And I sat there and I considered it. 
and I considered it so much because that appealed to me so much more mm. than having to do all the other right. Mm. And I thought, you know what? That would be easier. Mm. Be so much easier to be a monk or a nun or whatever than to 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 look after children and and you know to be a single solo parent who just happens to be a Hindu high priestess. That's irrelevant. I still have to pay the bills. Um, and so I chose this path, which was definitely going to be harder than me. And I decided to bring every moment, the meditation into the mundane of every moment and to experience mm. folding the laundry, which I do every day and cooking and doing school drop off and going to the temple and doing ritual mm. and all of the things have the same level of of gratitude appreciation awareness to them there is no difference between the most beautiful ceremony in the temple and mm. me cooking food for my children yeah so there's a lot of love everything you do yeah absolutely mm. absolutely and mm. and and that is the frequency i talk about and yeah. and it's conscious and it takes practice it takes practice 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 makes progress mm. nicole tell me what are the the pearls of wisdom that you would really love our listeners to take away from your story today? Self-regulate. Absolutely self-regulate. When you feel yourself going in a downward spiral or you are resisting or you are deciding you don't like X, Y or Z, it's to literally self-regulate and stop yourself in that moment. And what I call is go and hop in the observer seat and just find out what you need to be able to show up in a different way to be able to like hold space for you, like self parent, like love yourself enough to be able to make sure that you're not overtired, that you, you may just need a drink of water because so many people run around dehydrated these days and, and it becomes difficult, um, you know, to, to really stop in a moment to moment, thing and moment to moment to be able to hold space for yourself so that you don't perpetuate into some downward spiral mm. um and 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 that is that is all it is is to be present to be like purely present in every moment and to self-regulate every moment and it just chunks it down it makes it so much easier you try and make you know, the long game or the broad view it, it that's where the overwhelm comes that's when anxiety comes and all of that and mm. All I can say to everyone at any time, if you can just stay as present as you can, that's when you're able to, to really fulfill yourself within the long game is, you know, in that pure potent presence. Um, it, it's people want to try and plan for the future. And as we know, in these times, that's just impossible. Mm. Like it's actually mm. absolutely crazy. And if you can be as, as present as possible in any moment and self-regulate, you'll find that your future just becomes more beautiful than you could ever imagine. Mm, beautiful, beautiful, living moment to moment. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and, and it does. It unfolds very organically and naturally. There's not a lot you have to do. Like if you're showing up and taking the action steps moment to moment, the future really will sort itself out. Well, Nicole, if people want to connect with you and know more about what you're doing and what you offer, where can we direct them? Sure. Well, you can connect with me through my website uh, because you'll find all the links to all my socials and everything there. And my website is 
www.nickstar.com. Great. And I'll put all of that in the show notes as well. Awesome. Thanks, Nicole. What an inspiration and true light you really are in the world. You've shown us that no matter what the circumstances, you really can rise and shine again. So thank Mm. you. My pleasure. Now, if Nicole can do it, so can you. Did you like this podcast interview? Share your comments with me and tell me what you loved about this interview and how it was helpful for you. Help spread the love by sharing the link with your friends so that they too can rise and shine. So until next time, remember, it's not what happens to you that defines you. It's how you respond that counts. Shine on. You can shine.